0: Talk Radio. Well, here we go, ladies and gentlemen, across the board. It's Wednesdays, it's a special edition of the Breaking It Down podcast, hosted by yours truly, Mark Mancini, live in Los Angeles. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, I'm blessed to have a great guest today, and Ken Levine here, and 347-205-9631, show goes by quick.
1: Catch the archive version on
0: blogtalkradio.com forward slash Mancini Sports,
1: Podcast
0: platforms, wherever you subscribe to. Powered now by Mancini Media. So more of him, less than me. Let me lay the red carpet down, put the podium in its place, hand off the mic. First off, Ken, how are you?
1: Second I'm doing of all, how good. Can
0: people, yep, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Well, I have a blog, which I've had for 15 and a half years, Called bykenlevine.com. You could just go to Google Ken Levine blog and it'll take you there. And I have a podcast that I've had for six years called Hollywood and Levine, which is also available on all of the platforms. And uh, it's partly uh, an interview blog where I talk about uh, talk to a lot of people in show business and also in sports uh, guests have included Al Michaels and Joe Buck and Jason Bonetti, Dan Hort and a number of other uh, announcers. Uh, but uh, most of the time I'm talking to actors and writers and directors. And so I do those interviews and I also tell war stories of working on various shows, uh, give writing tips Uh, tell about horrible dating stories I've had. You know, the usual stuff
0: that you get in a podcast. Well, let me start right there, because there's always somebody instrumental in our lives that opens up a door or gets our intrigue going to get in a a business, Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, to get in the entertainment business, to get into production, to get into anything. Who was instrumental in your life to, to, to... more or less open this whole avenue to you because it's quite impressive in more ways than one.
1: Well, I guess it's different people because I've been involved in different areas, uh, certainly television writing, and also I was fortunate enough to be a Major League Baseball announcer. Uh, In terms of baseball, I was eight years old in L.A., and the Dodgers came to town, and I first heard Vin Scully And I went, oh, my God, that's what I want to do. Uh, I knew when I was eight years old that uh, I did not have the chops to actually play Major League Baseball. I did not have the chops to play Little League Baseball. But I figured, man, this is cool. You get to travel around with the team. You get to go to exotic cities like Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, and someone else pays for it. It's like, yeah, this is a great job. So – Uh, Vince Scully, if there's any one person who was really instrumental in my life, it would be Vince Scully because not only uh, did he inspire me as an announcer, but he inspired me as a storyteller. And I think in large part I kind of became a writer because of Vince Scully. And uh, another person who directly – was was very instrumental for me. Uh, was uh, David Isaacs my writing partner? Uh, he and I met. We were both in the same Army Reserve unit, and we both had jobs that were taking us nowhere. And we both decided that we wanted to try to become writers. So we figured, all right, let's learn together, and uh, and we did. And uh, we have been partners now for almost 50 years.
0: Wow. And when you look at uh, Vin Scully, some cities have one or two great announcers. But, uh, you know, we can go on and on with being blessed in Los Angeles with some of the great announcers we've had here. Dick Enberg, uh, you know, uh, Bob Miller with the Kings. Yeah, Chick Hearn with the Lakers. And you bring up Vin Scully, and you get spoiled – when you get guys like that, and you can learn a lot from them, not only the uh, you know uh, the experience and knowledge that they provide doing a telecast and everything, uh, you take that with you. Now, b- being a you know announcer with the Baltimore Orioles,
1: Seattle Mariners,
0: and San Diego Padres, I'll, well, let's start with the Orioles, crab cakes, East Coast. And and doing Oriole games, what a rich tradition with the Orioles going back to the 70s, the 420-game winners and all that. How fun was it uh, to do Baltimore Oriole games?
1: Oh, my God. It was great fun because uh, I was there. It was the last year of Memorial Stadium. And I had seen (laughs) that stadium my whole life, you know, watching not only Orioles games but Colt games, seeing those houses beyond the – center field fence and all, uh, and my partner, one of my partners, was Chuck Thompson, who had been the original voice of the Orioles during that period of time, and he was also a longtime voice of the Baltimore Colts, and so we would be on uh, road trips, we'd be on a plane, I'd be sitting next to him, and he'd be telling me stories about all of those glory days and the other very cool thing, you know, he was still friends with a a lot of those former players and they'd come to the stadium and come up to the booth, you know, and, uh, you know, he's introducing me to Johnny Unitas, you know, and, and Lenny Moore and, uh, you know, McNally and, uh, you know, a lot of great uh, Orioles from the past. Uh, So that was like amazing. And then the final day of Memorial Stadium, uh, they did a really, really cool thing. Dr. Charles Steinberg came up with this idea. Basically what he did was they invited all of the former great Baltimore Orioles of the past to come back in uniform. And without announcing their names, again, this was a total surprise to the crowd, they all started filing out onto the field and you're going, Oh my God, there's Boog Powell. There's Paul Blair there, and, You know, it's like all these great players uh, from the past. And of course, getting there early, I got a chance to meet each and every one of them. And even though I grew up in LA uh, and, still smart from the Orioles sweeping the Dodgers in 1966. Uh, But yeah, that was an amazing experience. And one of my broadcast partners, although he did TV, was Jim Palmer. So I got a chance to hang out with Jim Palmer and and hear great uh, Weaver stories. And, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, there are many great Earl Weaver stories. So uh, it was truly a blessing and I really felt that heritage being with the uh, the Baltimore Orioles.
0: Well, and then you look at it, they they built Camden Yars, uh, you know, and that was the start of all these new stadiums going up, PNC Park and everything. And I don't know how mm-hmm. much the Baltimore faithful likes me. Originally, I'm from Pittsburgh, so I remember the 71, uh, you know, uh, World Series, and I remember the 79 World Series, so – Baltimore could be, you know, they, they could hate guys from Pittsburgh on, on on that front, but they're both good World Series. <laughs> but, you know, when you look at that tradition in Baltimore, it was just, I mean, I can go back into the 70s when the 420-game winners, you had Earl Weaver. And, and, and in, in the last few years, it's been tough for that organization. But, boy, to broadcast that games, you've got to be able to sit back and say to yourself, man, I can't believe I'm doing Oriole games here. A rich tradition like this, not an expansion team, just that rich tradition in general, Uh, that had to be something.
1: Oh, absolutely. And like I said, I'm sitting next to Chuck Thompson, Hall of Famer, who called all those great Oriole games. And, you know, I felt like Zelig. It's like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? It was was quite an experience. They do an interesting thing. Uh, The traveling secretary keep score of every game and every Orioles game since 1954 is scored the exact same way on the exact same score sheets. And so they have this record of every single Orioles game since 1954. I mean, we're talking close to 70 years and, uh, again, it was an organization that took great pride in its tradition. Right. And, uh, you know, I was there. It was not a great team, but we had Cal Ripken, who won the MVP that year. And you've got to say, how good a player was he that year when the team loses 95 games and he still wins the MVP? So, yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was pretty amazing.
0: Then the Seattle Mariners, sushi, Starbucks, everything of the Pacific Northwest. When I think of the Mariners, I think when they came into existence, uh, you had uh, Mark Langston, you had Bruce Bakhti there, you had some guys, uh, Harold Reynolds. I mean, the list goes on, the pitchfork kind of look. Tell us about the Seattle Mariners and how fun was that?
1: Uh, it was my most fun uh... After my year in Baltimore, I was offered a three-year contract, but they wanted me to move to Baltimore, which is not an unreasonable request to be part of the community and to be there in the winter for banquets and, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, I was making most of my salary still in Los Angeles as a TV comedy writer and really right. couldn't afford that. So I left, but then I got a call from Seattle, which was at least on the West coast and, and a whole lot easier. And so I, I went up there and again, I worked with a hall of fame announcer, Dave Niehaus, and we had great, great fun. Um, in terms of the team. Okay. Here was the 1992 Seattle Mariners. Okay. Gino uh. Martinez at first, Harold Reynolds at second, Omar Vizquel at shortstop, Edgar Martinez, who was the batting champ that year, at third base. In the outfield, we had Jay Buhner in right, we had Ken Griffey in his prime, in center, in left, you had Kevin Mitchell, and uh, we had Randy Johnson as one of our starting pitchers. Okay. Now, on paper, that's a pretty good ball club, wouldn't you say? I, I, I believe Lou Pinello was managing it too, wasn't he? No, he was not. He managed. He came the next year. This was Bill Clark. Okay. We lost okay. 99 games that year, and we didn't lose them 2-1. Wow. to one. We lost them 10-8. to eight. Our pitching was so abysmal other than Randy. And even Randy was not Randy at that point. He was still a little wild, but it's amazing. Cause again, if you look at that team on paper, you go, that's certainly a competitive team. You know, you, you look at, at some of these uh, clubs, you know, your, your poor Pittsburgh pirates went through a stretch yeah. where you're just going, Jesus Christ, you guys yeah. are, are buried. Um, but that was a pretty good lineup, and yet we lost 99 games. Fishing well, and you look at it, kind that, of that important.
0: old, Yeah, that old movie, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, uh, the, 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 basically the, the city saved Seattle baseball, and I remember that. How instrumental was that to keep that team in Seattle
1: uh, rather than
0: lose it in a, in a short period of time from their existence to where they didn't know if they were going to get a new stadium or not?
1: You know, it was very strange. It was so strange that year that we didn't get a TV contract until the the end of spring training. Uh because there was so much uncertainty. And at the time, uh Jeff Simoleon owned the team and and I love Jeff. He was he was a great owner, but things were not happening in Seattle. And he sort of had a deal to move the team to Tampa Bay because they had already built that horrible stadium, the Tropicana uh, nuclear right. reactor. And, and uh, But he put the team up for sale, something like a 90-day window, and he set a price, I don't remember what it was, with the idea that, okay, you know, no one is going to, going to buy this and then i'll be able to move the team to tampa bay and uh a bunch of local uh billionaires paul allen etc um got together and formed a um consortium uh, and uh bought the team and it sort of surprised everybody but it saved us and it it kept us in seattle
0: Yeah, it was simply amazing what they did there. And then the Padres, and you and I were talking in the pre-chat about this. I was blessed enough to move uh, down to San Diego and uh,
1: get to know John Moores.
0: He had bought the team. Kevin Mm Towers was great. Theo Epstein was a media relations guy. Bruce Bochy was the manager. Uh, Covering the team in 96, uh, the, the Cardinals took him out in the playoffs, 97. They basically, uh, you know, started moving guys. In 98, they went to the World Series. I didn't get to cover it because I had come back up through L.A. again. But let me tell you, that Padre team, I know the the ones back then with Randy Jones and Dave Winfield and all those guys, but picking up Ken Caminiti, Steve Finley, getting Greg Vaughn in there, uh, bringing those guys in, three special years in San Diego. And you were down there with
1: great announcers
0: as well. Tell
1: us about that. Uh, Yeah, well, uh, in terms of the announcers, again, Jerry Coleman, another Hall of Famer. And uh, I think one of the the best and most underrated announcers, Ted Leitner, who uh, was very unique and uh, is so entertaining, so interesting to listen to. And you talk about that, that 96 team. And I remember we opened the season in Chicago. And uh, it was a day game. And that night was the, um, the final game of March Madness for that year. And, uh, and Bruce Bochy said, anyone who wants to come up to the suite to watch the game can do it. And the entire team came up. And wow. I remember thinking... To myself at the time, hey, that's kind of special, and they were great. And um, to me, the real spark plug on that team was Ken Caminiti. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was he was really something. And I remember an incident. I don't remember who the player was, but he. He said something where some pushback against Bochy uh, in the paper. And uh, the next day, he shows up at the stadium, and his locker has been emptied. And they're told his stuff is in the manager's office. And he walks into the manager's office, and there's Caminiti sitting behind Bochi's desk. Caminiti says to him, "You know, so are you the manager now? You know, uh, you you know what the hell is is going on here? You're the manager." And and I mean, he really shamed that place. Yeah. It's like you know, it's like we have a manager. It's Bruce Bochi. You do what he says and you shut up. Yeah, you know, no um, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll it. I, and yeah, I remember.
0: Yeah, when Caminiti was on the Ivies, I think eating snicker bars and playing in Monterey, uh, yeah,
1: Mexico, in Mexico, against the yeah. Mets.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, re- I remember mm-hmm. that. And special year uh, for the Padres, and uh, to see what they're doing now we is won remarkable. And we won
1: the division yeah. in Los Angeles, which was really yeah. fun, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh we won. It was the last day. We were like three games behind (laughs) Uh, and the the Dodgers, the Dodgers knew that they would at least be wild card, but we had to sweep all three games. And the, um, the final game uh, got down into extra innings. And uh, I was assigned to go down to the locker room. If we were to win, then I would do the post-game interviews where I would get soaked with champagne. So I'm sitting in the empty clubhouse with Kevin Towers, and uh, the two of us are just watching. Uh, and uh, it was it was uh, Chris Gwynn who had the big hit, and yeah. uh, and and the Padres won, and that was. That was quite a moment. And great for me. It's like I got to do, like, one playoff game. And as you said, yeah. we were swept by the Cardinals, like three straight. Yeah, I remember that. Two in St. Louis and one in uh, San Diego, and San Diego. that was it. Yeah. Yep.
0: And then, I, I mean, I can go hours. We, yeah, we might have to do a part two here,
1: you know, uh, because there's so much to talk about with
0: your, your great career and what you've done and accomplished. Uh, Dodger Talk came on. Uh, you know, after all that, and uh, that must have been fun. I know a good friend of ours, Fred Wallen, did that, too, and that taking calls from listeners and everything, and how fun was that?
1: Yeah, I did Dodger Talk for eight years on two different stations. Um, you know, it was really great. When I got the, the job the second time, uh, I was offered the job, and I said, I'll only take it under one condition, that I am allowed the freedom to say what I want and that I, I don't want to get off the air every night and have a, an email saying, you know, stop uh, bashing the bullpen or stop right. criticizing this or that. And, uh, and the Dodgers said, that's fine. The only thing we ask is that for home games – you actually come to the stadium and you're here for the home games, which I thought, well, <laughs> that's one of the perks of the job, is, is to yeah. actually be there for the games. So, uh, so that was really fun. What was great is, um, you know, Vin Scully got to know me. And, and you know, I'd see Vin Scully in the hallway and he'd go, hi, Kenny. And it was like, oh, my God, the prettiest girl in school knows my name. You know, it was, it it was, you know, unbelievable. And there were like a couple of occasions. Remember one time we had opened the season on the East coast. We opened the season in Montreal and then went to New York. And uh, on Sunday morning, it had snowed uh, on Saturday night and Sunday morning. I get to the stadium early at like nine o'clock and it's like Christmas morning. I mean, it just, uh, the, field, the game is, is is toast. And and Vinny was there early because he always would get there early. So it's basically just the two of us, and we had to wait for the team to come, and then we were going to take off for San Francisco. So, so he and I just went to the press lounge, and for two hours, just the two of us sat and talked and of course growing up in los angeles from the time the dodgers arrived i'm asking him questions about the coliseum and i'm asking him questions about you know various players and different things and it's like oh my god to have a 2 hour uh audience with vin scully uh was was amazing and it was fun you talk about the phone calls um i i did Dodger talk very differently than, um, than just about anyone else. Right. Um, I, when I went to the program director, I, I said, said to him, look, um, you can't make a bad decision in hiring somebody. Because even right. if the fans hate them, they're still going to listen. Okay, right. They're going to listen, they're going to hate them more. So you can't make a bad decision. I said, if you go with me, you're going to go with somebody very unorthodox because my idea is to treat it as a David Letterman show that happens to be about baseball. And my show is going to be irreverent, and my show is going to have humor, and uh, it's not going to be Dodger talk for scouts. It's like people just don't give a crap about it. A lot of that stuff, and and they said fine, and it it worked out really well. And the Dodgers were saying, you know, man, we're getting a lot more women calling than we've ever had before. (laughs) And I said, yeah, because that's entertaining. I, you know, I said, I said to a program director of KBC, I said, okay, so it's a it's a big game, fifty thousand people in the stadium, game is over, fifty thousand people are leaving you have this, you know, trapped audience of 50,000 people and the husband turns on Dodger talk and the wife is going to go, Oh my God, haven't we heard enough baseball tonight? I said, but if it's entertaining, where, whereas the wife wants to hear it, then they're going to keep it on. And, and sure enough, our ratings, uh, were, were great. And, uh, God, there was one year where um, our ratings – Dodger Talk got higher ratings than the broadcast. <laughs>
0: wow. Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. we've got about
0: four minutes left. I want to bring you back for part two if we can do this next week because I don't want to shortchange you on talking about the books, talking about the shows you produced and, and, and directed and wrote. Uh, would that be possible to bring you back next week? Or, you know, if you have some time? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, okay. I believe Cause so. Okay, because I don't want to shortchange it. We're on the baseball now, and I don't want to do two minutes of what you've accomplished with everything in TV. But just to finish out on the baseball uh, as we wind this thing down, it, 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 the changes made in today's game, it's, it, you know, i I've, I've, I've talked to Bill Madlock about it. And Bill Madlock says, well, the runner at second base, it's kind of like playing softball. We we, we, we I agree. Saw I so the, hate. I still so hate that. Yeah, we we saw the you know the things, you know with, with some of the other commissioners. I, I thought Peter Eubank was one of the best commissioners out there. I'm still trying to figure out you know, uh, Rob Manford here on, on some fronts. But uh, the one thing I like, and, and and this should have been brought in years ago was the Interleague, and I thought it should have been brought in maybe the 70s and 80s, and now next year I'm hearing that every team will be playing every team across the board, so Yankees will be in San Diego, they'll be all over the place. It, it, it's something that needs to be done if you're going to showcase some of these young talents across the board. So the Interleague's been one of the best things that I, I can see baseball's done. What, what's one of your best things uh, that baseball's done, and, and, and also what's happened to the bunt and what's happened to the stolen base?
1: Uh, well, analytics is what happened to all of those, and uh, you know, and and ballplayers saying, "Man, I got to hit home runs if I want to get big money." Um, so, finance and analytics, I, I would, I would say, um, what has improved in the last few years? Um, oh, man. Uh, I'm going to need a week to uh, to think about this because <laughs> I, I'm I'm one of those that thinks um, the game has gone so far downhill in so many ways that it kind of breaks my heart watching what today's baseball is versus what uh, what I remember baseball being.
0: Yeah, especially when Bert lived threw the best curve I've ever saw, and nobody's come close to that. And having right. all those innings pitched and everything, you know, now they got guys that, you know, throw 100 pitches and we're warming up bullpens. But as you we can wrap this a thing... Game now. You, you can
1: yeah. throw a perfect game now and lose. You can throw a perfect game and lose. Because you've got to run... Well, I will tell you this.
0: I, I will tell you this. And when we continue this next week, I will tell you this. I need three things in baseball off the bucket list. The World Series, the All-Star game, I'm working uh, real hard to get in there uh, this year at Dodger Stadium and catch a foul ball, and I've been invited up to Oakland uh, to get that off my list. But I've been blessed enough to see a perfect game. Dennis Martinez, 2 nothing over the Dodgers. Nobody wanted to go to that game. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin
0: Gross, mm-hmm. no hit the Dodgers, uh, or the Giants, as a member of the uh, Dodgers, um, Almost saw another one, but uh, I think uh, uh, the first baseman uh, of the he – was, he was with the Yankees for years, came from Texas, then he went to Atlanta. He broke it up uh, against uh, Corotta, DeShera, I believe it was
1: Mark DeShera.
0: DeShera. Mark DeShera broke that one up. I was there. and um, But I've seen a, a, a guy hit one completely out of the ballpark. No, it wasn't Willie Stargell. It was Mike Piazza. I saw Triple Willie Quar- Stargell
1: hit a ball out of the ballpark. I saw him – hit the first ball out of Dodger Stadium. I was there that night. Wow. But i yeah. got to get and the I other the three off, no Ken. Players.
0: The World Series, the All-Star Game, and catch a foul ball. Caught a home run ball by Jason Repko. Uh, but, uh, boy, I'll tell you, I was blessed with that perfect game and unbelievable. Jason Repko, there's a, there's a Dodger. Yeah. There's a former Dodger. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 You're, you're absolutely right. Listen, we, I can't wait to do part two of this to talk about all the other fine accolades that you've uh, done, and we want to talk about your podcast, the books, and all that. Uh, as we wrap this show up and set up the next one, how can people get a hold of you again?
1: Again, uh, my podcast is Hollywood and Levine. It's available on Apple and Spotify and Google and everywhere else. And my blog is by Ken Levine. So you go to bykenlevine.com or just go to Google and type in Ken Levine blog and it'll take you there.
0: Well, I appreciate this. I'll cherish this and boy, it's an honor to sit down and talk to you for 30 minutes and bring you back again to do it again and talk about all the other stuff. Um, for Ken Levine, here's truly Mark Mancini saying, Stay tuned for part two here. We'll get that going. Until then you can catch this archive version on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Mancini Sports, podcast platforms, wherever you subscribe to, powered now by Mancini Media. Till then, thank you very much guys for listening. Have a blessed one and thank you, Ken, again.
1: No problem.